1: Get hurt! Sorry! About your damn luck.
2: You're listening to Music of the Mat on the Voices of Wrestling Podcast
0: Network. Hello and welcome to Music of the Mat, the podcast devoted exclusively to the music of pro wrestling. It's all part of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. I'm your host, Andrew Rich. This is episode 114. And it's about the themes of the Dudley Boys, a.k.a. Team 3D. And today I am joined once again by a contributor at Voices of Wrestling. He is the Impact Wrestling reviewer. It's Andrew Sinclair. Hello, Andrew.
2: Hello, fellow Andrew. It's nice to be back on the show again.
0: Yeah, I'm glad you're back on here. Definitely, definitely. Um, Last time you were on was about a year ago or so, uh, during the early days of the pandemic still. And um, things are looking a bit different nowadays depending on where you live. But uh, but how have you been doing since we last spoke?
2: Yeah, I've been mostly fine. I've, I've managed to steer clear of the virus, which is the main thing. Uh, I've worked from home the whole time. So I've, it's weird in a sense, because I've sort of carried on with a working life, but obviously it is very different being at home. But yeah, there's a lot of people who've been in worse situations. Um, whether that was because they were ill or they became unemployed or whatever. But no, things have been pretty good on my end. And uh, hopefully, hopefully we're seeing light at the end of the tunnel now with the vaccines and whatever. But you never know what's around the corner with this virus. So I'm not going to count too many chickens before they hatch.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it's important to remember, you know, that no matter what happens, be it a pandemic or, or what have you, somehow impact will survive. You know, we we just had Slammiversary a few days ago and it's like, my God, this company has been around for 19 years. And despite all the stumblings and near-death experiences over the years, it's still going, man. You know, against all odds, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, it's still going. It's it's pretty incredible.
2: Yeah. And I think it's weird in a sense, the company's probably in a stronger position now than it has been in ages. I think it's, you know, over the pandemic, they've managed to keep going all the way through. Uh, the weekly product is sometimes a bit of a chore, or it certainly was when there were no fans. I think the filler episodes that you could normally kind of plough through because there'd be some enthusiasm when it's just in a vacuum and it's Josh Matthews and Madison Rain commentating, <laughs> it was kind of like, I have nothing here. I feel nothing. Um, but they've kept going. And obviously this relationship with AEW and you know all the other promotions like new japan and the nwa that's kind of coming into fruition now i think the pay-per-views this year have been some of their best-selling pay-per-views in a very long time and they're probably i'm not saying they're the hottest they've been in a long time but i think in terms of interest they've picked back up again and as a company they're probably a lot more financially secure than they were obviously say bound for glory 2017.
0: Yeah, I watched anniversary and um, I-, I enjoyed it. It was a fun show, and-, and like you said, things are looking you know pretty okay for Impact. You got the uh, the partnerships with AEW and New Japan and NWA. You got Kenny Omega in there as the champion. You got a, a great X division these days with Josh Alexander and Chris Bay and Ace Austin. A bunch of great guys in there. Roster is solid as hell, and they just got fans back too. Finally, so. You know, it's not what it was during the heyday, obviously, for a number of reasons. But, you know, things are looking pretty well for them, I'd say, these days.
2: Oh, definitely. And I think some of the guys you mentioned there, I think, have been like massive over the last year and a bit. I think Josh Alexander has this year looked, well, he's finally kind of producing what I hoped he would when he joined. Obviously, he was, I'm not going to use the word saddled, but when he was with Ethan Page, obviously, there was a limitation to what you were going to see, because it was mostly just tag team matches in a very set style. I remember Garrett Kidney made the joke that the North work the style of match FTR, FTR claim they work, um, which is very true. It was a lot more kind of that old Southern style, quick tags, all that kind of thing. But he's been brilliant this year, as you say. Ace Austin, Chris Bayer, guys for the future. Uh, Rohit Raju, who obviously wrestles as Hakim Zayn in – AAW in Chicago he has been absolutely fantastic the last year um, just absolutely brilliant in everything he does I think he's been fantastic and I think they've done a good job of bringing a lot of new talent in and I think the roster now feels deep and interesting and exciting and you trust them to make the right use of the people they're bringing in so someone like a, a W Morrissey for example who was a you know, big cast before and was basically the punchline of a joke, I think since he came, has been absolutely brilliant in everything he's done. He's just looked apart, walked apart, been brilliant. And he was someone you would have looked at as a free agent and gone, why are they going to pick him up? What use is he? So I think they've done a, a really good job and they've made the most of what they had. And I think Slammiversary felt like a reset in many ways with fans back and everything. And I think yeah, it's it's exciting and should be fun for for the rest of the year and beyond
0: and i have to say um you do a great job with the reviews as well i always enjoy reading your work uh and and your your burials as well those are a lot of fun too but um your reviews are are really great stuff man i I do appreciate them
2: that's very kind yeah i think yeah rich gave me the brief to not kind of do a play-by-play review and just kind of go with a Kind of a column style piece, which is sometimes more of a challenge because, as I said, some of those empty arena shows I had literally nothing to say. Um, (laughs) But now I think there's a lot of interesting stuff going on. And as you say, the burial pieces are are always quite fun to do
0: as well. (laughs) Definitely, definitely. Well, um, today, Andrew, we are here to discuss the themes of one of the most famous tag teams of all time, certainly the most decorated tag team of all time. And that's the Dudley boys, Bubba Ray and Devon, also known as Team 3D, Brother Ray and Brother Devon in TNA. And that's why I have you on, actually, because, you know, the Dudleys are known for their time in ECW and WWE, of course, but they spent more time in TNA than anywhere else. They were there for like nine or ten years or so, longer than either the ECW or WWE runs. And I know we talked last time you were on about Kurt Angle and how his TNA run was the largest chunk of his career. Team Three D, they're kind of in the same boat there, Andrew.
2: Absolutely. Yeah, and I think it's weird they won more titles in other companies because um, obviously they had you know eight reigns or whatever it was in ECW back in the late nineties. But yeah, for me when I when I first saw them, they were a team in TNA. Uh, So as far as my initial feeling was, they were a TNA team and that remained the case through the whole Hogan era until they both left. Um, But yeah, I think an awful lot of their careers was TNA. And I think certainly in, you know, Bubba Ray, Bully Ray's case, the singles run he had after they split, I think was probably some of the best work of his career. And genuinely holds up very very well I watched his last man standing match with AJ Styles quite recently and like genuinely genuinely very good and he's not someone people would have thought of before then as a you know a singles guy or a top top name for the promotion but I thought he was brilliant and I think they are associated with the promotion and then obviously got the ultimate death knell in impact by getting inducted into the hall of fame
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's like a, a kiss of death in a way because um, Abyss went in and he just left right afterwards. Team 3D go in, they're gone soon afterwards. So it's like a, it's like a blessing and a curse, I suppose, in a weird way.
2: <laughs> Even poor old Ken Shamrock got put in, and then he got indefinitely suspended like two months later. So it really <laughs> is the, I don't know, I don't know what you'd call it, but it's like the poison chalice. Really, <laughs> as soon as you get inducted, it's like, I wish you well with your future endeavors.
0: Right, right, yeah. yeah. Like you, I've seen them the most in real time when they were Team 3D and TNA. Um, And I went back to watch their ECW stuff and WWF stuff as well later on, of course. but But I first got into them as a kid during like the last 18 months or whatever of their first WWE run. So I missed out on the Hardys and Edge and Christian feuds. And the TLC matches and the the super-packed hot crowds during the Attitude Era. I missed all that stuff, which is really like their peak, I'd say, in terms of popularity. Um, And I still liked them as a kid. You know, the 3D was a cool move and the table stuff was awesome. But as I got older and I kept watching them in TNA, I didn't hate them. But I, I found myself caring less and less about Team 3D and caring more and more about other teams. The Motor City Machine Guns, Beer Money, LAX, um, a couple guys named Generation Me, whatever became of them. Um, (laughs) And and the split did help get me more interested in them with the whole Bully Ray thing, but by the time we get to like Aces and Eights, and then the second WWE run, I had my fill of them. And nowadays, I don't really consider them to be one of my favorite teams, really. Um, They are to many people, but me not so much Andrew what What about you
2: yeah I think there is a it's weird because as I was saying you know my exposure to them was was in TNA and I think it's probably 18 months after I started watching was when they split and then they both kind of had the singles runs and Devon's singles run was not I just it yeah, didn't really care like he he never really came over as a big deal um And I mean, that might have been because Bully called him the Marty Ginetti of the team. And I just assumed that meant he was a scrub um, and he wasn't going to go anywhere. But yeah, I I think for me as well, there's a fact that when they split, I think that was Bully's peak years as a performer. He was in the best shape of his career and worked well. Devon, on the other hand, was quite clearly winding down and quite beaten up. And then I just think the the return to WWE I think kind of soured it for me actually I think I quite enjoyed the aces and Eight stuff I knew it was, you know a lot of it was bad but I quite enjoyed it on like a humorous level but I think the return to WWE I just didn't care and then I think one of last one of Devon's last matches was at an ICW show in Scotland and it was terrible and it was like he's quite clearly done and then obviously. You know, Bubba's gone to Ring of Honor, which I didn't care, couldn't have cared less about. I thought his run was frustrating. I think that probably be the main word I'd use to describe it. And now he's sort of, I don't know, grasping for for relevancy. But yeah, in terms of favorite TNA teams, I definitely wouldn't be a a top three team for me. Probably a, not a top five. You know, for me, it would be Beer Money, Motor City Machine Guns, and you know, the collective incarnation of LAX. Whether that's you know the Notorious 187 Homicide and my boy Hernandez or obviously Santana and Ortiz when they kind of came along sort of a decade later.
0: Mm-hmm. And, and I'll be honest, you know, my opinion of Bully Ray nowadays as a person also plays a little part in how I feel about them. Um, he's not my favorite human being. Let's just <laughs> say that. But uh, all that aside, I will always give them their due for their success and their longevity. Cause they are the most decorated tag team ever. You know, they've won, like, what, two dozen tag titles. Only team to be WWE, WCW, ECW, NWA, TNA, and IWGP tag champs. Um, and a lot of people do remember them fondly for the 3D and all those TLC matches and table matches and divon get the tables and all that stuff. And And I'm one of them. You know, I love those matches. They're very influential and, and fun to watch. And you know, for better or for worse, the reason why tables are so popular in wrestling nowadays is in large part because of this tag team. So to say that they've made their mark in wrestling would be quite the understatement, I think, Andrew.
2: Yeah, and I think as you say, I think the key word there is longevity. I think in terms of longevity, they are one of the greatest teams ever because they managed to stay around for an awfully long time. And for the most part, even right at the end, when they came back, people still cared. For the most part, people still cared and people wanted to see them and they they had that cult status. You know, they were the Dudley Boys. They were around when, you know, you were younger or, you know, maybe when your parents maybe were watching wrestling or whatever, they were a big thing or, you know, that kind of thing. So, yeah, I think they do have a real spot in, in wrestling history and I think, you know, they were a culturally significant team in wrestling for all that they brought to the, you know, I was about to say well, they brought to the table and then I realized that was a really bad unintentional pun but you know what I mean um and yeah those TLC matches as well I think they them the Hardys Edge and Christian I think they sort of popularized that multi-man TLC format in a sense that's now become probably overdone in certain promotions but has been a dominant theme of the last 20 years. You know, you think of the Money in the Bank ladder matches, you think of things like Ultimate X or just, you know, scramble matches, that sort of thing. That sort of multi-man, that the success they managed to have in those matches, I think led to a lot more promotions, bookers looking at that and going, that's a formula we want to try and recreate.
0: Plus, they were in one of the greatest matches in TNA history, the Fish Market Street Fight against Shark Boy and Curryman. So, <laughs> gotta give him props for that one. That, that's for sure, Andrew. So,
2: <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, the image of Bully kissing the fish is one of the most iconic. iconic. Yeah, and of course, <laughs> the other iconic quote of uh, him mid-match shouting "Taz, my balls!" That's an oh, yes. iconic moment as well.
0: I know. I saw it. Should have <laughs> won a cup. <laughs>
2: my balls.
0: <laughs> so let's get to these themes here. Uh, we have a bunch to cover, and um, obviously we're only focusing on Bubba Ray and Devon, as opposed to the other Dudley boys, which there are many that we'll get to. Don't worry, but it's just going to be Bubba Ray and Devon because they have more than enough to talk about. I'd say, Andrew.
2: <laughs> Absolutely.
0: So we'll start off in ECW in the summer of 95. That's where the Dudley Boys were born. Or should I say, the Dudley Brothers. The Dudley Brothers was a stable based on the Hanson Brothers from the movie Slapshot. And it was an entire stable of various half-brothers from around the country. Because the father, Big Daddy Dudley, was a traveling salesman. And he went around and stooped all these women... And had all these boys. So you had all these different Dudley brothers who wore glasses and tie-dye. Originally, it was Dudley Dudley, Big Dick Dudley, and Snot Dudley as part of the Raven's Nest. Then they got Dances with Dudley, who was Native American. Uh, Chubby Dudley, Sign Guy Dudley. And then in October, a new guy shows up called Bubba Ray Dudley. B-U-H-B-U-H Ray Dudley. Who was a fat stuttering, dancing hillbilly. And uh, it's a little weird to look back on that stuff. Um, A, because there are so many Dudleys, (laughs) Um, but also B, because, you know, nowadays Bully Ray is such a a full-blown New York jackass. Um, And to see him as this country bumpkin is is very odd. But uh, those were different days, that's for sure, Andrew.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I have to admit, uh, when I was looking into this, I had no idea that any of these people existed. (laughs) I, I, I was just transported to this entirely bizarre bizarre me and slightly offensive in many ways as well. Just very odd, um, a very odd beginning. And it sort of, in a way, reminded me of, uh, you know, the big LG Doc Gallows, who obviously the first time I saw him was in WWE as Festus, this sort of mentally challenged man with learning difficulties who dribbled and drooled everywhere and responded to the sound of the bell so and now obviously he's you know a big draw and a significant part of this AEW new japan impact crossover thing and has had massive success over the last decade plus but obviously started in that way and i think in some ways there's a similarity to to old ba ba ray dudley as well who obviously started in that Peculiar role, and then went on to be part of, obviously, Team Three D on the most successful teams ever.
0: Yeah, yeah. To go from like my name is Bubba 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 bu- bu- Ray Dudley to the disrespect for this business is it's quite the shock, I'd say. But um, but anyway, uh, the Dudley brothers had a theme song. This is by AC/DC off of Highway to Hell. This is Highway to Hell. played this back on the SummerSlam episode last year for SummerSlam ninety eight, and I think it works even better here, because it's a wild upbeat song about the nonstop life of, of being on the road, living it up, rocking, partying, going crazy. And you need a certain atmosphere and a certain wrestler to really fit that bill and make the song really work. And I think, you know, mid-90s ECW, that environment, and the Dudley Brothers, they they do fit that bill, I'd say, Andrew.
2: Yeah, and I think for all the kind of dark riffs and that in the song, it's quite a light-hearted song at heart, really, when you kind of look into the lyrics, and I think it fits with, obviously, what they were trying to achieve with the uh, faction of Half Brothers. It was, you know, it's quite upbeat, it's the sort of thing that would energize a crowd. Um, it's such an iconic song, and I think it would work for them in terms of, you know, getting them over and making them maybe slightly more relatable than the gimmick of, you know, what what the gimmick actually was.
0: Yeah, it's definitely, um, as you said, uh, one of the more lighthearted themes of the bunch, uh, relatively speaking. And it makes sense, because that early era of the Dudleys, they were rather comedic with their different traits and Bubba Ray stuttering and dancing and all that. But it still has that hard rock edge to it and that sense of kind of danger to make it work in that hardcore ECW environment, so it, it it rides the line between you know silly and fun and jovial and uh, heavy hard rock and tough, which a lot of gimmicks did in ECW back in the day.
2: Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, did Mr. Heyman have the rights to use the song? That's a, that's Let's not
0: question. worry about that right now, okay? Well, we'll cross <laughs> that bridge when we get there. Don't worry about that.
2: <laughs> but no, I do. I do think it kind of fits with the. It's a very You know, when you listen to it, if you were asked to associate with a promotion, that probably would have been ECW. That would have been where I'd have gone to. So, yeah, I think it does fit with the promotion, but it kind of gives them something. I know there's a line in the song that's, you know, living easy, loving free. And I think that kind of sums up the kind of lighthearted, you know, babyface type theme they were obviously going for with a relative bunch of misfits.
0: Mm hmm. And later on, um, when they introduced little Spike Dudley into the group, uh, this would become his singles theme in ECW, uh, which is perfect because if anyone was on a highway to hell in ECW, it was Spike Dudley, right? I mean, all those (laughs) crazy bumps through tables and chair shots and getting thrown around and tossed into the crowd like he was Mr. Deathwish, apparently. But, you know, God love him. He was perfect in that role as the scrappy little underdog who just gets the shit beat out of him every night, which would be his MO for the remainder of his career, pretty much, you know, in WWE and and in TNA as Brother Runt. But he was great at it, so, you know, God love him.
2: Absolutely. And I think I always found it quite amusing that, you know, he was, you know, Little Spike or Brother Runt, but he was actually the oldest guy of the three. Uh, But looking at him, you'd have just assumed he was, like, the scrawny tag-along who was used as, like, a human missile by Bubba and Devon, or just like a sacrificial lamb. You know, if somebody's got to go through this table, it's not going to be one of us. So take one for the team, fella. So, <laughs> yeah, I think he, he always was that kind of just, you knew when he came out, I was like, right, well, somebody's going to get absolutely clobbered and it's probably going to be you.
0: <laughs> so I mentioned all of those various Dudley brothers earlier, Um but one I didn't bring up is Devon Dudley. Uh, Devon debuted in April of '96. ...as a heel, saying that, you know, having fun and dancing and being jovial was not the true Dudley way. So he spent months and months fighting with his brothers until eventually Bubba Ray turns heel and he joins Devon ...and the Dudley boys are truly born, with Big Dick and Sign Guy joining them as well, along with their manager Joel Gertner... ...and they are just big-time heels. They win the tag belts a bunch... Uh, run roughshod everywhere, and they also have no music. That's the thing. They came out to no music, which can be a bit tricky, I think, but when you become just so hated like they did, the crowd booing does become the music, I guess, Andrew.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I think I remember when, I think it was probably 2008, 2009, I was watching the WWE, and it was on SmackDown, and it was when they just debuted Vladimir Kozlov, who was, you know, no great worker or anything, he used to come up to just absolutely deathly silence. And I just thought it was so effective then with him because it felt different. You know, everybody else has got, you know, the pyro or the overproduced, you know, pop music or, you know, shame at man style, here comes the money. And then there's just this geezer who looks like he's fresh out of the Olympic weightlifting team stomping down to the ring, ready to squash some local yokel. And I think it's the same with the Dudleys. They were just two guys that no one liked. And rather than have a song that you know might eventually become something that people like, respond to, becomes catchy or whatever, like a a Judas, I don't know, Fozzie's Judas, having them come out to nothing, it's just like, okay, these guys think they're different. Maybe they think they're better than everybody else, and therefore we hate them even more than we did before.
0: And it's a great way to stand out in a place like ECW in particular, too, which was so well known for using music and real songs. You know, what better way to be unique and to also get heel heat and to also avoid the possibility of being cheered than to just have no music? You know, it's a pretty smart move for sure, Andrew.
2: Yeah, exactly. I think it just, it's something that they generally, promotions haven't done very often. And I think it's a prime example of when you do Something different in terms of presentation, whatever that is, it can have a really profound effect on the way people respond to that person or that act.
0: So, yeah, the Dudleys spend the next few years as uh, the top team in ECW. Uh, They almost cause a few riots along the way with uh, their promos, which uh, we won't repeat here. And then in August of 99, the Dudley Boys leave ECW to go to the WWF by themselves. Uh, Spike will join later, but for now it's just Bubba Ray and Devon. Uh, Bubba Ray now spelled B U B B A. He's also stuttering again, which I'm sure made Vince laugh a lot. Uh, the first Dudley Boys theme in WWF is by Nigel Pulsford from the First Com Music Library. This is called Fundamental. So this is weird because so many Dudley's themes are very memorable and iconic, but it's not the case for this one, I don't think. It's not that memorable, really. A standard rock instrumental, it sounds fine, it sounds good, but it doesn't really feel like a Dudley Boy's theme answer, you know?
2: No, and I think the main, I mean, I I liked it a bit more as it went on. Uh, I thought it kind of had a bit more life to it as it got about 40 seconds in. But I think the thing, I'm listening to it and I'm like, okay, they only use this for two weeks, which kind of makes sense because it's incredibly generic and no one would care. If you came out to that, no one would think anything really as a fan. But I think the thing that struck me, I I was listening to it and I thought, I'm sure I've heard this somewhere before or I've heard something similar to this. And I don't think I have, but it feels exactly the sort of thing they'd have put on one of the SmackDown versus Raw games as like you know, Patriot 2 or just a generic theme that you could have chosen for your created wrestler that wasn't somebody else's song. It was just a a generic kind of tune that you could have chosen and would have just been on there as a stock stock tune. That's what it it kind of said to me.
0: Yeah, it's a little too, I I think, loosey-goosey, a little too free-flowy for the Dudleys because, you know, most Dudley themes have a real, like, crunch to them. They're very impactful, have a real just ruggedness to them with the guitar chords and whatnot. This one feels more like a background theme than a Dudley Boy's theme, Andrew, I think.
2: Yeah, it's the sort of thing you could imagine, you know, standing in the ring already is so-and-so from the local town. Or it just, yeah, it felt so flat. And I think when you compare it to all the other themes which are so in-your-face and aggressive right off the bat, whether, you know, it was, you know, the iconic, you know, TNA tune, the Watch Out, Watch Out, which obviously is the one that, sticks in my mind the most but all of them even with the falling bomb they're all just so in your face and this one is just there it's the sort of thing you could imagine as backing music for a video rather than this is the theme tune of in theory big name free agents we've just brought across from a rival promotion
0: yeah and like you said it was only used for a couple of weeks ...at the beginning of the run, which... ...was a weird time for them, those first few months... ...because they're still on the camo from ECW... ...Bubba Ray is stuttering again... ...it's not like the Dudleys who would come to know... ...later on, with the Hardys feud... ...the Edge and Christian feud, the camo gear... ...that would come later on, but... ...during those first few months, things are... ...a little bit iffy... ...as evidenced by that first song, for sure... Um, ...also, fun fact... uh, ...Nigel Pulsford, the artist here... He was the original guitarist for the band Bush. So there you go. So a few weeks into their WWF run, the Dudleys get that new theme. And this one lasts a lot longer than Fundamental, about 18 months or so. Which has them winning the WWF tag belts for the first time and feuding with the Hardy Boys, Edge and Christian, DX, Right to Censor, all that stuff. This is by Kent Buchanan from the Extreme Music Library. How fitting. It's called Ollie Stalefish. fundamental this is also a library song um, has a random ass name too but it's funny how this is like a million times more memorable and better suited for the dudley's than fundamental was a because it was used longer and b it feels like a dudley's theme doesn't it it has that punch to it it has that crunchy riff da 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 there's the heavy bass, there's the big drumming, all sorts of cool guitar effects. It's a very raucous affair, fitting for the Dudleys, I'd say, Andrew.
2: Yeah, 100%. And I think when they added the, the falling bomb at the start, after a couple of weeks, I think it was December '99. Um, when they brought that in, I think that kind of just completed it. And obviously that bomb then became the iconic thing for them in the in WWE, but... I think it has all the things that you would want from a team that are in a big spot and prominent positions. It's a theme song that hits you right from the start. I'm not, you know, it's not the same as Stone Cold and the the glass shattering, but it has something right at the beginning of the song that, you know, snaps you into it and you're like, all right, I'm here, this is the Dudley boys. Something's gonna happen. And obviously that run you know, from, from 99 to, to early 01 was, you know, that series of feuds with the Acolytes, the Hardy Boys, Edge and Christian, and all those iconic TLC matches, the ladder matches, you know, the cage matches. So, yeah, I think it, it kind of brings back a lot of things from, from stuff I've watched in later years, but also just, it feels so them.
0: Definitely. Yeah. The, the bomb drop is such a, a great choice because, It tells you just everything you need to know about the Dudleys, which is when they're out there, the ring's going to be a war zone. Just big punches, big slams, putting people through tables, a rabid crowd. They start wearing the camo gear as well, which adds to it. It really puts the theme over the top and accentuates that violent nature of the Dudleys. And the fact that around this time is when they start doing the iconic Dudley stuff in WWF, you know powerbombing people through tables and uh, powerbombing Mae Young off the stage and, uh, you know, the ladder matches, the TLC matches, all the tables matches, all the big crazy stuff that people remember them fondly for. I think that makes the theme even more memorable and iconic, that, that added context for sure, Andrew.
2: Yeah, I kind of see the, the bomb as like a a metaphor or strong symbolism for, you know, either the Bubba bomb, someone going through a table or the wass up off the top rope. So it's kind of that. I mean, I'm not saying like Devon's head is like a bomb, but you know what I mean? Kind of that big, impactful, thudding move is kind of what that strikes me. And yeah, it's just, it's an iconic one. You know, it worked perfectly. So yeah, it's a strong choice. And, and it obviously did the job because they were a popular overact at the time.
0: And like with Highway to Hell, um, after the Dudley stopped using this theme, uh, it became Spike's theme in WWE, which is uh, a little pattern there, I guess. That Spike would inherit the songs from his, um, I guess, technically not younger brothers, um, <laughs> bigger brothers, we should say. So <laughs> there you go, yeah. The
2: former European champion
0: Spike Dudley. That's right. Yes, and uh, cruiserweight champion as well. Yes. April 2001, uh, the Dudleys get a new theme, their first one by Jim Johnston featuring Pete Blast on vocals. And this one lasts for about a year, which is the invasion and uh, getting Stacy Keebler as their new valet, the Duchess of Dudleyville, that time period. This is off of WWE Anthology. It's called We're Coming Down.
3: Yeah, we're coming now.
1: Come on,
0: So this is the first Jim Johnston theme for the Dudleys, their first one with lyrics in WWE, and it's essentially a remake of Ali Stalefish with lyrics. The riff is very similar, same tempo and style, and it's kind of like an evolution of that theme into something that's much more specific to the Dudleys with the lyrics, as opposed to Ali Stalefish, which works very well, as we said, but... It wasn't written for them in mind. This one, it can lean a lot closer to the actual characters of the Dudleys with the lyrics than the previous song could. Andrew.
2: Yeah, there's a lot of obvious kind of symbolism in the lyrics for for the Dudleys. They're talking about, you know, family, brothers. I think it likens them to Cain and Abel at some point. And there's a lot of comments to do with, you know, getting round the table, or who's going to be next round the table, that sort of thing. But I think generally, the thing I took from it, there's a lot more of a an edgy vibe to it, an out there vibe. And obviously, this was the time when you had the whole alliance angle and they were part of that. And it's when they were, I think it was WCW, WWF and ECW Tag Team Champions at the same time. I think that was it. I can't remember. But they definitely were, the, you know, had the belts at the same time. And then there was the unification match uh, later in the year. And I think just generally, there was a, an edgier vibe. Um they were a bit more, I think it presented them in a bit more of a confident way as well, which kind of fitted with the role they were playing in the whole Alliance Invasion story.
0: Yeah, yeah. And the lyrics are, you know, Jim Johnston rap lyrics, which means that they're a bit cheesy and goofy, for sure. It's like a family in here, just a little disabled, putting it down, really, lay them out on the table, kind of like Cain and Abel, a bit unstable. Don't be breaking the frame, break the whole damn table. So lots of references to tables, obviously, and brothers, don't mess with us. You know, typical fare you'd expect from a Dudley Boys theme. But to be honest, when your gimmick is just tables and brothers, there's not much room for creativity in, in song lyrics, I guess, Andrew. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, he certainly you that. And I think something I did want to talk about, obviously, was, you know, you mentioned Stacey Keebler, the Duchess of... Dudley but obviously, later on, I mean, at at the time, she was another example of uh, Bubba Ray seemingly loving to, you know, inflict wrestling-related violence upon women. Obviously, in ECW, Beulah McGillicuddy, she got put through a table. It was Mae Young, Stacey Keebler, obviously we'll come to Dixie Carter later on. But that was another example. And, of course, she was also later, Stacey, valet for... Probably my favorite WWE tag team of all time, Rosie and the Hurricane.
0: Yeah. Um, Also, the line, hypnotized in a trance, gotta make him dance. That references how whenever Bubba Ray would do the sit out powerbomb through a table, he would go into that euphoric trance, as JR would say. (laughs) So that's a nice little line there. Um, By the way, uh, Pete Blast, I looked him up, he is a very obscure rapper from New York Um, Obviously, this is his most famous work, and currently, I believe he works for T-Mobile in regional marketing of all things. So, to go from the Dudley Boys theme to T-Mobile is a rather interesting career path, Andrew, I'd say.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, not a conventional career path anyway.
0: No, no. So, yeah, March 02, the Dudleys get another new theme, and uh, Bubba Ray has it for most of the year. Divon not so much, which we'll get to in a second. This is by Saliva off of Forcible Entry. It's Turn the Tables.
1: Yeah! We're coming now!
0: is just like a slightly heavier remake of We're Coming Down, done by Saliva. A lot of the same lyrics, uh, same main crunchy guitar riff, but with a different chorus and instrumentation. New guitar solo as well. Um, Even the opening bomb drop sound effect is different. So, I get what they're going for here. A new take on a song by a popular band, which Forcible Entry had a lot of, you know, with Drowning Pool and Seven Dust and Dope and bands like that, but... To me, it doesn't feel like an essential song, really, Andrew. It's fine, but not really one that will, you know, lead the pack, so to speak.
2: Yeah, I think it's it's a lot more grungy, I think, in, it, in the feel of the song. And I think in the other one, obviously, you know, Jim Johnston's not exactly, you know, a king of subtlety. But in this one, you know, the get the tables is like entire choruses of just get the tables, get the tables, get the tables, get the... And the I mean, it's like Subtlety Hammer completely. And I, I think it loses some of the, the nuance that's in the previous one and kind of fits in with the time where obviously they ended up going their separate ways for a period of time.
0: Yeah, to me, what hinders it the most is the timing of the whole thing because Bubba and Divine did have it for a little bit. They had it at Mini 18 where uh, Saliva played it live, but then they were split up and the brand split. And this song became Bubba's singles theme, and then it became the theme for Bubba and Spike. And I don't think a song like this that is so heavy and so tied to the specific, you know, image and aura of Bubba Ray and Devon, that duo, I don't think a song like that works for any other scenario, really. And I think because this period of the Dudleys is so weird and awkward, the legacy and the impact of this song does suffer because of it, Andrew.
2: Yeah, and I think it also, it doesn't really work because I think, you know, Baba was back to being a, a baby during this period as well, and it just doesn't fit with that kind of vibe. Um, so, yeah, I just think it's a bit of a, you know, square peg in a round hole type thing. Um, I'm not, it's not terrible, but it, it just doesn't, It doesn't do the same job as the one before, especially given circumstances and the way they were positioning Rubber at the time.
0: Yeah, the song itself is fine. You know, it's just, again, the context is a little weird to me with the whole, you know, getting a new theme and then splitting up shortly afterwards. Um, But I guess, you know, when they made the theme, they didn't really know they were going to do that. So, you know, you you can't blame Saliva in this case. So there you go. Um, It's just... Just weird WWE timing and booking as usual. But um, also weird, the song is called Turn the Tables, but the chorus goes Get the Tables. And that, that does bug me a little bit there, Andrew, I can't lie. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it did. I thought that was strange as well. It just It's just a very peculiar, very, very peculiar thing. Not, I don't know, not for me.
0: So, Bubba Ray and Spike have turned the tables over on Raw, but on SmackDown, Devon gets a new song for a new gimmick because he becomes Reverend Devon with his sidekick Deacon Batista, preaching against sin and masturbation and all sorts of stuff. Reverend Devon's theme is by Jim Johnston, featuring Mady Miles off of WWE Anthology. This is Eyes of Righteousness.
1: Please call my name
0: So we played this back on the Batista episode last year, and uh, what a theme it is, my god. I mean, I expressed my love for this back then, and it's just, again, it's so much fun and it's so funky, the vocals are just tremendous, and I know it's strange for a white Jewish boy like me to love a black gospel theme like this, but it, and Andrew, this is great stuff.
2: I unashamedly loved Reverend Davon. <laughs> Like, I have no qualms in admitting that I absolutely love the Reverend Devon gimmick, and I love Deacon Batista. Just the whole... It was, like, prime WWE stupidity, but it worked. Like, it worked for what it was supposed to do. Like, it was never going to be a long-term thing, but I just thought it was absolutely fantastic. And, yeah, the theme is actually, like, really good. It's quite fun. It's enjoyable. And, you know, the whole, you know, him coming out to this sort of like relatively upbeat gospel song. And then he's standing in the ring cutting promos about why masturbation is bad. Just the whole image of it is genuinely superb. And I just, yeah, there's something so, you know, evangelical about the whole thing. I think it's absolutely, absolutely fantastic.
0: Yeah, initially, he came out to, like, generic church organ music, but they eventually gave him this song, which, thank God, I mean, this has just so much more flavor to it, thanks in very large part to Mady Miles, who did the Flash Funk theme as well. I mean, she just kills it on this. And it's funny because nothing about this song is inherently heelish. It's just nice, pleasant gospel music about... Praising the Lord and turning away from sin and whatnot, Lord, give me eyes of righteousness. It's a good message, but contextually, it's such a stark shift from what came before with Divon, with you know the big rock songs, the big guitars, dropping bombs, tables, etc., which is what the fans loved about Divon and were used to with him. Then something like this comes along, which shuns all that stuff. Naturally, it's going to be hated. So this is a case, I think, where the context helps the song a lot with the intended reaction for the character, Andrew.
2: Yeah, it's almost like the presentation is like Devon was, you know, part of this tag team that, you know, on the edge and, you know, that kind of thing, rebellious, all that sort of idea. They got drafted separately and it's almost like Devon took a whack to the head and woke up and decided that he wanted to moralize and evangelize the people of you know, Orangeburg, South Carolina or wherever they were going. Just it's so peculiar. I love it, but I I do get why the gimmick bombed and people didn't respond to it. But must remember that gimmick change got him a pinful win over Triple H, which at that time were not easy to come by.
0: And it was, I think, a natural extension of his Dudley's personality in a lot of ways, because, you know, he would cut the promos like a fiery preacher. Oh, my brother, testify! And the saving grace neckbreaker, and uh, the taunt where he would spin around on one leg and do the sign of the cross. So I think it made total sense to give him a reverend gimmick, you know, going solo, Um, especially since his dad was a bishop. And his mom was a pastor as well. So, you know, he knew that world growing up for sure. Um, and yes, he, he did beat Triple H that one time uh, with the collection box, mind you. But uh, sh- that's a minor detail. Don't don't worry about that. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. And that's all that matters, really. That's more than Booker T managed to do. So, <laughs> yeah, I thought I loved it. And I, I think the Oh My Brother Testify. um, Yeah, that was just an iconic part of his character in late years anyway. And something... I'm unashamedly happy to admit that I adopted in later years myself. I used to kind of like take up the weird three-point stance and start doing the "Oh, you know, my brother" Testify. I'm not quite sure why. Don't know what I thought it achieved, but probably some part of my brain thought it was quite cool. Ah,
0: oh, you know, listen, we, we've all overdone the taunts here and there as wrestling fans. Um, I remember going uh, to my first Raw as a kid and just doing the RBD thumbs taunt. The entire show, pretty much. Like, for, for no good reason, I just kept doing it. So, you know, <laughs> uh, we, we've all been there in, in one form or another, I think. So, <laughs> well, uh, in November of 02, the Dudley boys are reunited at Survivor Series. Uh, D-Von returns to his Dudley gimmick and saves Bubba Ray from a three-minute warning. Uh, they also give a 3D to Rico through a table to boot. And all is right with the world. And they also get a new theme, which they will have until the end of their first WWE run. This is by Powerman Man 5000, off the album Anyone for Doomsday. This is Bombshell. Yeah,
3: we coming now. Get up, get up, get
1: up. Drop the bombshell. Get up, get up. This is out of control. Get up, get up, get up. Drop the bombshell. Get up. Drop the bombshell straight to the track The 21st century killing machine Brought on the inside of five-headed team Now I'm not the same, because you're not the same if You're not the same, because I'm not the same If we're not the same, this could never be the same If we just want to survive Get up, get up, get up Drop the bombshell, get up, get
0: up This is out of control so this is my first Dudley Boyz theme, actually, um, which may color it for me, but honestly it's also my favorite Dudley Boyz theme, I think. I just I love the song, has a ton of energy and bombast to it, again, that, that Warzone quality, the chorus is very catchy, uh, it fits the team like a glove as well, and I like how, you know, when they reunited they could have gone back to We're Coming Down or kept using Turn the Tables, but they got a new theme to symbolize a new run for the Dudleys and you know sometimes that doesn't work but I think this time it did Andrew.
2: Yeah exactly I think that was the thing I took from it as well it's just like so intense Uh, and a change from from the you know the previous sort of singles themes in a sense they both had it was so intense kind of it formed the basics for them coming back together and having you know intense exciting well maybe exciting is not the right word but feuds that the fans were behind with La Resistance, The Un-Americans, Three Minute Warning. Um, and I think it kind of, you know, they were back together again. And I think people were like, yeah, they're back together. This is cool. And I think the theme kind of, this is a revitalized Dudley Boys. This is a new, fresh Dudley Boys they've had, you know, however long apart, eight months apart. They're back together again. They're on the same page and they're going to keep, you know, reeking havoc and trying to wind people up.
0: Yeah, there's definitely, like, a renewed energy to the team uh, with this second run, of course. And this theme, I think, helps a lot in that regard. And the lyrics, too, you know, they do sort of work contextually as well, I think. Now, look who's coming. Yeah, look who's back. Quick drop the bombshell straight to the track. The 21st century killing machine burnt on the inside, a five-minute team. It's like, yeah, the Dudleys are back, they're a killer tag team, and they're going to make quick work of you. Um, Plus, you know, bombshell... Dropping the bomb, the pyro—it all comes together nicely there, Andrew.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I think this is this is the iconic WWE one, and I think it works tremendously. I think it it ticks all the boxes as you say. The contextually, it was just right, and I think fitted for the most part what their kind of second run together in the WWE symbolised. Obviously the. You know, 2004 and kidnapping Paul Bearer and then losing in a a handicap match to The Undertaker wasn't great. And then, you know, 2005, they get sent to High Valley Wrestling because they've run out of ideas for them. And then they leave. So the last bit of it isn't great, but the theme song is still good. And that first 18 months they're back together and they win the titles twice, you know, that is really, for me, the, the song is perfect for them.
0: And I remember uh, when they went to SmackDown in 04 with Spike and they turned heel and Spike became the boss, Spike <laughs> Dudley, their leader, uh, they got rid of the falling bomb stinger and the pyro. So it just started with the get up, get up, get up, bah, 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 bah. which is a nice little callback actually to their ECW run because, you know, everybody loves the pyro and the bomb fall and what better way to, you know not have to worry about getting cheered as heels than to take away that part of the song that people like to cheer, you know? So, uh, again, it's a very clever way to say, you know, we are evil baddies now, you know, don't cheer us.
2: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. I think it just, it was the perfect fit for them at the time. And yeah, I I think it's, for me, it's, it's not that, you know, I know for you, it's the top one for me, it's, it's a close second to the, to the next one we'll talk about, but I definitely think it's, it's very them. And, yeah, it goes back to what I was saying before, that subtle change to presentation, whether it's taking the theme music away or changing an element of it, can have a real effect on the way the crowd responds and ensures that you as, you know, promotion and act are in control of the reaction you're getting and getting the reaction that you ideally want to get. So, yeah, that change makes sense. And, yeah, I think the theme was just... It, it suited them to a T. Mm-hmm.
0: So, uh, in November of 04, the Dudleys are taken off TV, and uh, they come back for the ECW One Night Stand pay-per-view in 05, and uh, that's it. They leave WWE that summer, and uh, they do some independence, they do some Japan work, but their new home will be TNA, and they'll be there for uh, quite a while, actually. And uh, they can't be the Dudley Boys anymore, because WWE owns the name, so they changed it to Team 3D, Brother Ray and Brother Devon. Do you remember, though, what the original team name was going to be, Andrew?
2: Wasn't it? Didn't they trademark like Brother Deadly or something like that?
0: You're on the money, actually, because they were going to be the Deadly Boys, Brother Ray Deadly and Devon Deadly. Um, and they even made t shirts, actually, I think, but uh, the idea was scrapped, which uh, honestly, I'm glad because, you know, at least Team 3D is like a less awkward new name. The Deadly Boys is just... It's a bit too similar to the Dudleys, I think, Andrew.
2: Yeah, and I think the Deadly, to me, would have come across in the way, you know, in later years when people would make the joke that somebody had left the WWE and then they went to TNA Impact. It was basically Impact were just going to send them out there and then invert the first initials of both of their names and say, oh, what... Crow display doing in the impact <laughs> zone, or something like that. I, I think the Deadly would have felt like a promotional attempt to use the same name in as close a way as possible. Was then them going under the names Brother Ray, Brother Devon felt sufficiently different. Obviously, in a way, it's a callback to you know Reverend Devon represent, <laughs> but just generally it felt different, and it felt different enough and kind of symbolized that maybe this was a different incarnation of the team you know, that had a, a year, basically, of frustration of being told the WWE had no ideas for them. Uh, and then the trademark problems that they had, I think it kind of, the names worked, really. I think they symbolized the start of a, a different chapter, and as you say, a chapter that ended up being close to a decade long.
0: Right, right. And I imagine calling it, like, the deadly death drop is it's just too awkward again you know not the same ring to it there but um, but anyway uh, team 3D is in TNA and they get a new theme song a theme they will have from their arrival in late 05 to their split in late 2010 and uh, all the feuds and tag title wins in between this is by Dale Oliver off of Meltdown the Music of TNA Wrestling Volume 2 this is watch out watch out
1: watch out, watch out, watch out. Put down, put down, put down. Put 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 put
0: Now, I know some people out there would listen to this and say, oh, it's just Dale Oliver ripping off Bombshell. Well, here's the thing Bombshell goes, get up, get up, get up, drop the bombshell. This song goes, watch out, watch out, watch out for the bomb fall. And those are completely different lyrics here, Andrew. I mean, this song is a, it's a true <laughs> original, you know?
2: Oh, dear. I think it was weird. When I first, when I listened back to the Power Man song, I was like, wow. i would forgotten how similar this was to Watch Out, Watch Out, <laughs> Watch Out. And then I was like, of course it is. Senor Dale Oliver has had his grubby hands all over <laughs> it. No, I mean, this this song for me, is, this is the dumb voice for me. Um, And when you asked me to come on the show, my first response was just to message you, watch out, watch out, watch out, Um, which I think sums me up as a bit of a Mark fanboy. Um, But yeah, I just, this song is, for me, this is them, this is the one I was introduced to, and in the same way the Power Man song works, this one absolutely worked as well, which is not a surprise.
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it ticks all the boxes of a proper, you know, Dudley's or Team 3D theme for sure, you know, the dropping bomb sound effect, it's aggressive, it's hard rock and all that stuff, but... To me, though, like compared to Bombshell, it doesn't have the same weight to it. it. It feels like, you know, a knockoff, which it is, but, you know, knockoffs, I think, can be great. This one, though, it just it doesn't reach the same high to me as the original does.
2: Yeah. No, I, d- I do understand that. It's definitely not as. It's probably not as put together a song as, as you know, the previous one, but yeah i think it it still does the same job and i think for me it kind of got over by the fact their first feuds were you know against jeff jarrett and america's most wanted and against team canada where they came in as like a big name free agent team and they were like these red hot baby faces standing up to these big heel teams and the watch out just worked i think it worked for the promotion and the crowd at the time um even if, yeah, it's it's probably not, if you're assessing solely the music, it's probably not the strongest. Uh, I just think it kind of, again, context is important. And I think it works in the context.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, to me, I think fatigue plays a part in it as well, because this is the longest lasting theme of their entire run anywhere. They had this for five years more than any other song, uh, from their debut to the split in 2010. And, and after a while, you know, you're just kind of waiting for something new to happen, which is how I felt about Team 3D after a while. You know, you had the various feuds and face turns and heel turns and whatnot, but they were pretty much the same guys the whole way through until the split, and you know, Bully Ray and all that. But and after a while, you know, I was waiting for a big change, and we never really got that change until the split, Andrew.
2: Yeah. For sure. I think that, I mean, you think of all the kind of, I mean, I was saying that they came into the baby faces, the iterations they went through. We talked about it before. There's, you know, the street fight with the fish, Um, you know, there's their X division feud where they kept having to weigh in uh, and they won the ultimate X match by climbing the ladder alongside Johnny Devine. And then obviously they were feuding with the Motor City machine guns There was obviously the feud with LAX as well, where they tried to claim that um, Steve Sharipa from The Sopranos was their long lost cousin (laughs) and that he was going to help them take down the dastardly homicide of Hernandez. (laughs) No, I mean, I thought at the time, at the time, that meant nothing to me. I was like 10. And I was like, who is this geezer? Who is this big guy? I don't, what is The Sopranos? Obviously, now I'm, you know, very well versed and I think it's incredibly funny. Um, Um, but yeah, I mean, they went through an awful lot and the theme stayed the same. And I think it's one of those things where sometimes you can chop and change a theme too many times, especially if your booking is inconsistent and a team keeps changing or an act keeps changing direction and you keep changing to match that, then it can be an, a frustrating thing because you don't relate to a theme. But at the same time, as you say, that that was the theme they used for basically five years. And the team went in various different directions and had kind of various different gimmicks during that run and perhaps could have used a couple of slight variations along the way to to signify the direction they were going in.
0: Mm-hmm. So towards the end of 2010, uh, Team 3D announces that they're going to retire, but they want one more tag title shot to end their careers as champions. So they wrestle the Motor City Machine Guns at Turning Point for the belts, which is a great match, by the way. I covered that on my September of Saban miniseries last year at VOW, and they lose because Chris Saban kicked out of the 3D, which had only happened, I think, once before in ECW. But Saban kicks out, they can't believe it, and then that leads to them losing the match. And afterwards, during their retirement ceremony, Brother Ray turns on Devon. Because Saban kicked out of their move. You know, the 3D is the most protected move pretty much in history. Which meant that, you know, Devon was weak to him. And Ray was the Shawn Michaels of the team. And Devon was the Jannetty. So, Team 3D are once again split up. And I think in this case, it was a much, much better split than the brand split was back in the day. Because at least there's an actual story here, Andrew, you know?
2: Yeah. And the thing is, I think I felt the retirement was genuinely plausible at the time. Because neither of them were getting any younger and they'd been around quite a long time. And, and, you know, certainly in the early WWE run had been through a very kind of physical style. So you thought, you know, it's not beyond the realms of possibility that they're going to pack it in. I mean, you sort of detailed it there. That whole angle, for me, was the best way of doing it. They had that kind of, you know, the Dudleys, and you know, Team 3D's last stand against the Guns, who they'd had a number of matches with before, Guns win, there is an obvious bone of contention because they had protected the finishers so well in the previous five years. And then leads to that, you know, a feud, which eventually led to, obviously, as I was saying earlier, you know, Bully Ray singles run, which I genuinely think was very, very good and holds up well. But I think the only sad thing for me looking back is they never really got a proper blow-off match. They never really had... The end of feud match that you felt they needed, you know, that kind of closure match. Um, The same way, you know, Storm and Chris Harris had had back in the day, their, you know, violent bloody brawl they had to settle their personal issues. You felt that Ray and Devon needed that, and it probably would have been really good because the story was so hot and Ray was such a good heel. I remember the angle where he was beating up Devon's sons. obviously then took on a role in later years when Degon was feuding with uh, the Pope. But, yeah, like, I remember, uh, you know, Brother Ray beating up his sons and beating up Deacon backstage, and it was just like, the the match here, if you do it, it's going to feel massive. And then, you know, for for whatever reason, it never happened, which is the only sad thing for me looking back on them splitting.
0: Yeah, I believe it was because Bully Ray joined Immortal. That's why they Mm. cut it short, I think. Um, Which is weird, because, yeah, there was never... That like final, final confrontation between the two of them, um, which is, you know, again, pretty, pretty strange. But but look, I mean, (laughs) they did reunite a few years later in Aces and Eights, So it's like, eh, you know, no harm, no foul, I suppose Um, there'll be many more Team 3D matches to come in their careers and uh, and many more fake retirements for Bully Ray. That's for (laughs) sure. So, (laughs) yeah. um, So, yeah, uh, Brother Ray becomes Bully Ray. Starts his singles career, and uh, he gets a new theme song. This is by Dale Oliver, and it's called The Beaten Path. Like a Russian doll of ripoff themes. There's just so many layers to this. Because first of all, it's a remake of Sabu's TNA theme, Camel, has that same opening riff, da 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 da, which in itself is a ripoff of Sabu's ECW theme, Hookah Blues. It also has the same drum beat from Sabu's theme and Sid Vicious's theme in WCW that boom cha boom cha. And that drum beat was taken from the song China White by Scorpions. So, you take all those songs, add in a lot more layers to it, and some big guitar solos and whatnot, and you get the Beaten Path, which I think is a, you know a pretty decent song, Andrew.
2: Yeah, I think I, d- I don't think the Beaten Path actually a bad tune to be honest. Um, and I think it felt sufficiently different, you know, massively different from the you know the Team Three D ones, which fitted with the turn he had taken in terms of being this significantly pushed singles guy, which I don't think really anyone looking at the team would have said before. I don't think people would have looked at Team 3D and thought either of these guys is going to get a massive singles push at some point, certainly not when they were you know, pushing 40, and they're not going to be the top guy at the time in the second biggest promotion in North America. So. Yeah, like, Bully as a singles guy felt different, felt, you know, a a, a really interesting pivot. And I think the song is that, despite the fact it obviously takes inspiration, use that word, from so many other songs.
0: Yeah, it's definitely tipping the cap, I'd say, to the Dudley Boys slash Team 3D run with the dropping bomb still in there. As well as, I think, to ECW in a way as well, by incorporating Sabu's theme. Um, But it also has, like, enough new elements in there to say, you know, this is a new era for Bully Ray. And I think that that lumbering drum beat in particular, combined with the big crushing guitar solos, they do pack a bigger punch than Watch Out, Watch Out does. Which kind of says, like, you know, this is a meaner version of this guy than before, you know. He's called Bully Ray for God's sake. So, of course, this theme (laughs) is going to be, you know, pretty heavy and pretty hard. And the fact that he turned on Devon to, you know, get this new persona and get this new theme also, I think, adds to, you know, the big time, you know, badass element in there, too, Andrew, I'd say.
2: Yeah. And I think at the time, another thing worth noting is just the shape he was in. Oh, yeah. Like, I think unquestionably was the best shape of his career, marauding around the ring, looking at his massive calves. Um, But yeah, he was in phenomenal shape and I think produced some of the best work of his career. Um, I referenced it earlier, but that last man standing match with AJ Styles at Slammiversary 2011 is genuinely really, really good. Um, I think I went four and a quarter stars on it, but it, yeah, it was really, really good.
0: Yeah, I mean, I brought up the fatigue earlier with watch out, watch out, and just waiting for something new. Well, this was something new. You know, it was a new name, a new direction. He was in amazing shape. You know, calfzilla was the nickname, I believe, and... And yeah, he was doing the best work of his career at that point. So, you know, it was such a great freshening up for a guy who really hadn't changed in forever, Andrew.
3: Mm,
2: absolutely. And I, I just wanted to say as well, you know, your your September of Sabin series last year was absolutely brilliant. And oh, thank you. I remember reading the one about, you know, the match between the Guns and Team 3D, which was, you know, Team 3D's last stand. And it did actually take me back to actually watch an awful lot of team 3d stuff but then also this run from you know bully ray and i I realized there was actually more good stuff in there than i thought which is sort of why i said you know it holds up well even though the company was struggling in the hogan bischoff era and often creatively bankrupt
0: so bully ray and devon feud and uh bully ray joins immortal which ends the feud abruptly and He goes on to feud with other people, and as far as Devon goes, um, well, he was just plain old Devon. Uh, He was TV champion, he was in a tag team with Garrett Bischoff, uh, not much to it really. He did have his own singles theme though, Uh, this is by Dale Oliver, and it's just called Devon. If I could describe this song, um, I would borrow a term from Robin Reed and say it was aggressively fine. Like, there's nothing bad about it, but there's nothing remarkable about it either. It's just, it's aggressively fine. Even the title is just called Devon. There's no catchy or clever name, it's just Devon. Straightforward, to the point, here you go. And you know, if I didn't know it was called Devon, I don't think I could have guessed who had this theme, Andrew. It's it's no eyes of righteousness, that's for sure.
2: Yeah, I think I think that that's absolutely right. Aggressively fine is the best way to describe it to me. It seemed like something you could have just pulled out of a tape library, a generic song that you could have used for anyone. Um, it just yeah, it, it just it it existed. The theme existed in the same way that his singles run. Existed, I think his feud with D'Angelo De Niro, the Pope, was good. Uh, it was quite long, but I, I thought they did some good stuff. with. Him. I know De, uh, you know De Niro was trying to kind of claim, you know, he was, he was a better role model for, for Devon's children, who obviously latterly appeared on AEW Dark, I think, earlier this year. Um, but yeah, I think that feud was good. But I mean, Devon won his first singles title in that period won the television title and defended it a number of times, but there wasn't a single notable match in that run. And I think the f- the theme basically symbolizes that. His singles run was more or less forgettable, and he did feel like a massive second fiddle to, to what they were doing with Bully Ray at the time.
0: Right, yeah. I mean, it's a song that's just kind of there. And and Devon at this time, you know, between the split and Aces and Eights, He was also just kind of there, doing his thing. And yeah, he was TV champion for quite a while, but, you know, Bully Ray was the one who had the more important storylines going on. You know, Bully Ray did not team up with Garrett Bischoff, Devon did. So it's no surprise that I think Bully Ray got the, well, it's subjective, I know, but the more superior theme, in my opinion, Andrew.
2: Mm, Absolutely. Couldn't agree more.
0: So, uh, yeah, Devon was TV champion for, like, six months or whatever, and then his contract ran out, and they vacate the belt, and it's like, okay, Devon's gone, I guess. Or was he? Because in the middle of 2012, a new group of villains arrives in TNA, a group of mysterious bikers known as Aces and Eights, attacking people left and right causing all sorts of mayhem for months on end. Nobody knew who they were until finally, at Bound for Glory, one of them is unmasked to reveal... (gasps) Devon. Yes, he is now back as a member of Aces and Eights. And over the following weeks, more members would be revealed. Members like Doc, Nux, Wes Briscoe, Garrett Bischoff, Mr. Anderson, Taz, D-Lo Brown... Truly a faction of big time superstars, Andrew. I mean, just main eventer after main eventer there on that list. (laughs) So,
2: (laughs) Yeah, it was a sort of a hodgepodge group of guys. Um, It's weird because I know they won Worst Gimmick two years in a row. I mean, do you win a Worst Gimmick Award or do you just kind of end up with it? Anyway, um, yeah, I actually quite enjoyed it at the time. Because I thought at first it was quite cool and it was quite different. And I, I liked the fact at first they were just randomly attacking people, but they weren't they weren't treated as part of the roster. They were treated as some kind of outlaw entity who had to win, kind of they had to win access to the, the Impact Zone. I think that was the tag team match of Bound for Glory when one of the masked men ended up being the good reverend himself. I liked that. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't like the retribution rubbish that, you know, WWE tried to do where they were selling their own merch before they'd unmasked or, you know. I quite enjoyed it, but it just rambled on for a very, very long time and just became far, far, far too much by the end. And the end was very long overdue.
0: Mm-hmm. But but who was the leader? Who was the president of Aces and Eights? We finally got an answer to that question at Lockdown 2013. When it was revealed to be the new TNA world champion, Bully Ray. Yes, the same guy who had been fighting Aces and Nates literally for months <laughs> was their leader. Oh, so stupid. I, I I, hate that trope so much of guy fights a stable for months and then oh, he joins the stable. I mean, it was so dumb with Samoa Joe and the main event mafia. It was dumb here too.
2: Oh, for sure. And I think the worst bit about it is <clears throat> the fact that he was the leader. It was like, we're supposed to view this as you've willingly been beaten up by them for months to achieve what? Like you won the belt without officially being part of it. So what? I don't know. It's just it it's one of those things that makes no sense. And then just makes you as a fan really angry, I think. Um, yeah, I mean, the way they did it was not was not good. And uh, him being married to Brooke Hogan wasn't great either. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's it's weird. Like, I thought he did an awful lot of good work in that Aces and Eights feud. But obviously, just for the most part, it made no sense whatsoever.
0: Mm. Well, uh, in any event, uh, Bully Ray and Devon are back together in Aces and Eights. Which means we'll play the Aces and Eights theme here. Uh, this is by Dale Oliver off of the TNA Black EP. It's called Dead Man's Hand. <laughs> So I imagine that Aces and Eights was uh, heavily inspired by Sons of Anarchy, and um, listening to the theme here, that seems to be the case, because this music is right up that alley uh, of any biker TV show or biker movie. You know, that, that southern outlaw country, bluesy hard rock kind of mix. And that's Dale Oliver's Wheelhouse, of course. So, if anyone can make a Sons of Anarchy-style rip-off theme for a biker gang with Nux and Doc Gallows and West Briscoe in it. It's him, Andrew.
2: Yeah, it's proper, you know, outlaw vibes to the whole thing. Um, I quite enjoyed it, actually. I thought it was quite a good jam. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was very much, you know, Oliver to a T. Um, and, yeah, as I say, I, I quite liked the song. I thought it fitted quite well as well for for at least what they were trying to, to get across.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, my my issue with it is that, for the most part, they used the instrumental version of this song, this version. But there was also a lyric version that Bully Ray had on a few occasions that I think is much better and a more complete song. And I don't know why he had it and the other guys didn't. Um, maybe because he was the president, I don't know. But comparing the two, the instrumental version does feel a bit lacking, I'd say.
2: Yeah. I mean, yeah, he was obviously the... The leader, and they were all, you know, lucky scrubs, who were just lucky to be following him around. If you were to sort of perceive his latest attitude and everything, but yeah, I don't know. I I always thought it was quite good, and I liked the kind of remix. Well, it wasn't really the Dead Man's Hand remix, but the version at the time they did of AJ Styles' theme tune when he kind of teased. Oh, Johnny evil AJ ways, roommate. yeah. yeah. And then, you know, went back to being soccer mum AJ. Obviously, <laughs> cool AJ, not, not an ace's and A's AJ. But that was a sort of a fun use of it. And, but yeah, I think the instrumental one was a bit flat and I think made the rest of the guys feel decidedly interchangeable. Which in a large faction, you are always going to get guys that do feel replaceable, especially when you kind of got you know Nux and Doc Gallows, who looked very similar, and Wes Briscoe and Garrett Bischoff, who were kind of equally redundant in the group. But yeah, I, I mean, he certainly felt like a big deal anyway. And you saw that with you know the lyrics in his version of the, the song. He always did feel like a, a big deal within the faction. It's just, it just never really went anywhere.
0: Mm hmm. Well let's play the vocal version here um, Like I said it was only used by Billy Ray on a few occasions And it does have uh, Serge Salinas On vocals who was on many TNA themes So let's hear it So yeah, like I said, I enjoy this one a lot more because it it does expound upon the whole concept of aces and eights and the dead man's hand. Which, as the story goes, in the Old West, uh, Wild Bill Hickok was playing poker and he was killed at the table. And his poker hand had aces and eights, hence the name Dead Man's Hand. And the lyrics talk about that. The unexpected fear will come to haunt you like a breath of darkness riding in the wind and it will drag you to the bowels of evil. Pray that Wild Bill's curse doesn't ride again. The dead man's hand, the dead man's fate. Hold them once, and you may never escape. The dead man's hand, the dead man's fate. Everybody fears the aces and eights. So there's that added element of danger and intimidation as well that you don't get with the instrumental version. So, I just wish that they used this as a full-time theme, as opposed to just a special theme for Bully Ray.
2: Mm, definitely.
0: Um, it's funny though, like, for as maligned a stable and storyline as Aces and Eights was, and it's pretty maligned. I mean, uh, it did win Worst Gimmick two years in a row in the Observer Awards, and I know a lot of people who did stop watching TNA because of this. Um, we also got this theme song out of it, and it's pretty damn great. So you know what? Swings and roundabouts, as they say, Andrew. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> so.
2: Yeah. Uh, I. I mean, I think to be honest, Aces and Eights was part of a wider problem. I think where a lot of people switched off. I think that whole era was. I mean, I think the start of 2014 was some of the worst stuff they've ever put together. Just so uninspired and lacking in ideas, and I think that was. Part of a much larger malaise that was, you know, four years in the making, really, that whole Hogan-Bischoff era. Uh, and then, obviously, you know, they lurched from financial crisis to financial crisis. But, yeah, I think that I think the problem with Aces and Apes, and I've kind of alluded to it a couple of times, is it rumbled on for so long that by the time it came to an end and you had the big blow-off with Anderson and Bully Ray in the funeral, it was good you know in a vacuum it was good stuff and it was you know a good way to bring it to an end it's just it took far too long to get there and i think by that point people just like i'm i'm sick of this this is not adding anything to the the weekly product basically and it's just detracting from some of the other guys who perhaps should have been getting a bit more investment or attention or you know I know there was talk of, you know, Alex Shelley wanting to bring people in and not getting listened to. And I think it was just a much larger malaise at that time. But it must be noted, the Aces and Aets did bring us the infamous August 1 warning. and on I was going to
0: bring it up. It's a classic moment. Classic moment with Tito Ortiz crossing his arms and Mr. Anderson scratching his head is... It's a classic, that's for sure. Um, uh. And also, uh, the Aces and Eights funeral was a lot of fun too, uh, especially when uh, Samoa Joe is passing out beers and he almost gives one to Kurt Angle and he stops because Kurt had his DUI like a little bit earlier. So that was pretty funny. Um, and then Bully Ray shows up and says, you raped me of everything I had, which I, I, I could do without that line, I think. <laughs> but besides that, it was a bright spot for sure.
2: Uh, I do remember as well, Tito Ortiz did an interview like a year or so after uh, he was in. I mean, obviously now the guy's, you know, fully jumped the shark or whatever uh, after he'd run for the local council. But I remember he did the interview and he was like, oh, they treated me so well in TNA. Dixie Carter was wonderful. I got to meet Hulk Hogan. And it honestly just sounded like the most excited child. <laughs> like I've met my wrestling hero. This is great, despite the fact that him joining was one of the most damp squibs I can remember watching wrestling. And then he basically did nothing, and it, you know he, he officially joined them. And then at No Surrender, he had to leave because Bellator were like, "You're fighting Rampage Jackson. Uh, we don't have time for you fanning about in Orlando with this group of absolute ramshackle boys. <laughs> you know, get back down the gym and start training." <laughs> It was just, it was so bizarre. The whole thing was so bizarre, but I do remember that interview quite vividly of just how excited he seemed at what was possibly one of the easiest paychecks he probably ever made.
0: Yeah, yeah, too busy uh, hanging out with Nux and Whispers Go to train, I suppose. (laughs) That's that's pretty funny. Um, Hey, listen, it happens to the best of us, right? I mean, you spend enough time with, D'Lo Brown and Garrett Bischoff and just the, the days just fly by right
2: <laughs> I mean Garrett Bischoff as well I remember I read on a a wrestling forum I can't even remember what forum it was and someone had come up with the idea for fantasy booking Garrett Bischoff as x-division champion in a world where he was x-division champion but he refused to use the top rope and that he basically was champion by virtue of like grappling <laughs> like something out of evolve and it was just the most peculiar idea and then the end goal was that he'd basically in a title defense go to the top rope and attempt a diving maneuver and like botch it so badly then just get rolled up pinned and lose <laughs> and that like that stuck with me because he was just the most jagged guy same as briscoe but th- this oh. person obviously saw something in him that nobody else did And had this great vision for how he was going to have like an eight-month reign as X-Division champion, which perhaps summarizes where the X-Division was at the time.
0: Mm. Well, that does foreshadow in a weird way uh, the end of the Young Bucks FTR match from last year, where uh, Cash Wheeler goes for a flip dive, misses, and then the Bucks win shortly afterwards. So ahead of his time, in a way, there, that Garrett Bischoff fantasy booker, you know? (laughs) So you just, you never know with these things, I guess. (laughs) So, um, towards the end of 2013, Aces and Eights are disbanded, thank God. Uh, Bully Ray becomes a singles wrestler again, and uh D-Von had actually left TNA again earlier that year, but he came back the next year in 2014 for one last run with Team 3D in the summer. Uh, they have a really good series of matches with the Hardys and the Wolves in like a ladder match and a Full Metal Mayhem match. And then that's it for them in TNA, really. They're gone again after Bound for Glory, which is a fun little trivia note that their last TNA match was in Corkin Hall, of all places, because <laughs> that was the split show with Russell 1 that year. So there you go. Um, It was also the show where they burned a Bullet Club flag in the ring, like, yeah, we're the real tough guys, and then TNA cut it from the show because it was taped, which does make me chuckle thinking about it, Andrew.
2: <laughs> oh, I remember that show. It was so peculiar. It made, like, no sense. Oh, EC3 wrestle, Ryota Hama. <laughs> oh, yeah, I mean... And Havoc defeated Velvet Star by submission. I bet that went down massively well with the people in Corrigan Hall. <laughs> uh, yeah, I just... I was a peculiar... A very peculiar way for them to go out, but also in hindsight, an incredibly peculiar move. Like, that show with Wrestle 1, just incredibly odd. I think there were two d- titles defended in the entire show, and Team 3D's last match, they won against the and Tommy Dreamer. And uh, I mean, I'm not saying every team, you know, should go out on their back, but it just seemed like an odd way for them to come to an end. But as I said, you know, they'd already had their the tinkling of the death knell because they were put in the Hall of Fame. So the time was always cut. You know, you'd been given your watch and you're about to, you know, as Dusty Rhodes said, get kicked on the butt and at the door.
0: Mm -hmm. So uh, after TNA, the Dudleys eventually return to WWE in 2015. Uh, They go back there for about a year and uh, they start using the camouflage gear again and the glasses and we're coming down as a theme. And um, yeah, ultimately it's not a terrible run. But it's not that great either. Like, they did put over some younger teams like the New Day and the Usos and the White Family, but there's no real long-lasting memory with this second run here. At least to me, Andrew, anyway.
2: Yeah, I think it was cool when they came back. Like, them coming back certainly felt like a surprise. So I remember it was the end of, like, a a New Day-Lucha Dragons match or something along those lines. You know, you've got the big bomb and the pyro. And it was like, oh, you know, Michael Cole losing his mind that the Dudley boys were back. And I thought it was really cool because I think there had always been a part of me when I kind of learned their backstory that thought they probably wouldn't go back after the kerfuffle they'd had with the trademarking and stuff. There simmed a lot of bad blood there. But there again, I suppose the money on the table for like a nostalgia run was probably quite good. Uh, and probably the best offer on the table to them at the time, especially after certain flag-burning incidents. So, yeah, it was it was weird. They they seemed to work a lot and win a reasonable amount, but never win anything that mattered. So, mm-hmm.
0: so uh, shortly after that second run there in WWE, uh, Devon retires in 2016 and becomes a producer for WWE, which he still is today. So that's the end of the Dudley Boys as an active team. Uh, 20 years, pretty much, on and off. Hell of a run there, for sure. And uh, Bully Ray, he goes on to Ring of Honor, where he forms a trio with the Briscoes at first. And then he turns heel and has many, many, many fake retirements, comically so. <laughs> and uh, is, in general, not the most positive force in ROH, let's say. Um, I don't have his main ROH theme that he had there, uh, Birds of Prey, the second theme, but I do have his first one. It's by Colleen Sharmat from the Warner Chapel Music Library. It's called Hard and Heavy. So this is another one that didn't last very long, only about a month or so, but um, it's a rather striking song, I think. Uh, It's got the standard rock stuff in there, sure, but there's strings, there's a spooky choir in there as well. Like, we didn't have anything like this with any of the prior songs. And I can see why they changed it so quickly, because it's a little too, uh, I guess, dark operatic for Bully Ray, I think, Andrew.
2: Yeah, especially as kind of he was aligned with you know the Briscoes at first and then we you know would later go on to feud with Flip Gordon and stuff but yeah, it was in many ways as you say there were similarities to to older older music that he used but it did feel very different and it just felt quite odd um and and didn't really fit seemingly fit him as a person or fit his presentation on screen like he was never one for the the eerie, weird kind of character, and you did get a lot of kind of creepy vibes from the the song. So, yeah, definitely a strange pivot and not a surprise that, as you say, they changed it for, for the majority of his run anyway, which was not forgettable uh, because his name was invariably in the news when he was in Ring of Honor for something or the other, <laughs> Uh but it wasn't necessarily a good run so an odd time but I did have a a fun fact about Devon, one of Devon's last matches was in Scotland for ICW at Fear and Loathing 9 which was I believe the first time they ran the Hydro and they had 6,000 people in there and they forked out pretty decent whack I would imagine to bring the Dudleys over and it was really bad The match with Polo Promotions was really bad. It was like a no-DQ match that lasted about six minutes. And it was very clear that Jackie Polo either forgot what the finish was or just completely cocked it up. But basically, like, the finish was a complete disaster. And, yeah, the crowd hated it. You could see Ray and Devon absolutely hated it as well. And then they ended up putting, you know, David blaze for a table. So obviously everybody got a kind of happy go home moment. Uh, and we did get a great line from the wee man, a Scottish comedian, who was David blaze's manager. Um, who who said that team 3d had been for close to two decades, deeply offensive to the carpentry business, <laughs> uh, which I thought was superb. Uh, but yeah, the whole thing was just very, very odd. Um, but yes, there's a... I couldn't come on with a, without a random bit of ICW trivia, so there you go.
0: Well, they're your neck of the woods, so it's only fitting that you bring them up, I guess, and talk <laughs> about them. But um, but I believe Bully Ray also had a run in Defiant as well. A little singles run there briefly, which um, he had his own theme song there too, but um, I think at this point we can skip those, right? Let's, let's not <laughs> linger on those days any longer. So, yeah.
2: <laughs> no, Bully coming over here was not I don't think it was any great hunting ground Mm -hmm. for
0: you. So, uh, yeah, those were the many themes of the Dudley Boys. Team 3D, both singles and tag team. And uh, nowadays, Devon is done, like I said. And uh, Bully Ray has his radio show. And um, he hasn't officially, officially retired yet for good, which always makes me nervous because I don't want to watch him wrestle again in places I like. But um, in any event, I do have a lot of fun memories of the Dudleys. And I think their legacy is firmly secure at this point, given how they were pushed in three different major companies for many, many years as a top team. They have, you know, some of the most legendary plunder matches of all time that are highly influential. The 3D, the tables, all that stuff. They're going to be thought of in high regard by a lot of people for the rest of their days and beyond, I'm sure. Um, Now, Bully Ray doesn't do himself any favors, with his dumbass comments every now and again. But as far as the duo, the Dudley boys slash Team 3D are concerned, they are firmly on their pedestal, I'd say, Andrew.
2: Yeah, I agree with you. I think their legacy, I think it's good because, you know, their career kind of came full circle in a way. You know, they started off in ECW as like this, you know, realistically a hot heel faction, with the no music, then they had the you know the WWE run, a long, long run in TNA Impact, which started with them together, ended with them together. They went out on a high. They got the nostalgia run, and then you know Devon called it quits when you know probably was the right time for him. I think it was quite obvious then that his body had given out, and he stopped and gone to a side of the business where you'd hope he can do some good, and uh, yeah. Uh Bully Ray I don't think we've probably seen the last of him In a wrestling ring uh, I still think his last matches were Ring of Honour last year Just before all the COVID But I think he will probably I have a feeling Someone will probably offer him money And he will probably take it And fair play to him If someone makes him an offer He's well within his rights to accept Now I don't know who that will be uh, Because I don't think Impact would bring him back I don't think Ring of Honour would bring him back And that basically leaves the NWA or MLW. I don't think he fits really with MLW. So maybe he'd he'd go to the NWA for a bit. And I suppose they're probably the only people who could do something with him at this point. Given their kind of approach, which is obviously a lot more story focused. I'm sure you could do something for him about him wanting to win the NWA title before he calls it a day. You know, I think there's probably the nucleus of a story there if they wanted to go down the avenue. But yeah, I think their legacy as a team is secure. And I think in a way, Devon's retirement is what has made that secure because he is very clearly and firmly done. So as a team, they're not going to go on for so long where they become, they undo a lot of the good work by wrestling for, you know, 40 years or whatever as a team and clogging up cards here, there and everywhere. I think, Yeah, I think their legacy is pretty secure and I think they'll go down as one of the most significant and one of the most significant tag teams of all time. And certainly in terms of longevity, one of the best. Mm -hmm.
0: And remember, we'll always have the fish market street fight. That's for sure. Um, Of course, we'll also have the electrified cage match against LAX. So, you know, <laughs> the yin and yang of life, as they say, Andrew.
2: <laughs> and and taz my balls as well. <laughs>
0: yeah, exactly. We'll have that too, for sure. Um, all right, well, that's going to do it for this episode of Music of the Man. Thank you so much for listening. And uh, Andrew, thank you so much for being here again. This was just so much fun talking about the Dudley Boys and their themes and their wacky antics over the years. So thank you.
2: Oh, it's always an absolute pleasure, Andrew, to, to come and join you. Hopefully I haven't waffled on too much for people.
0: Oh, you were great. You were great. Don't worry about it. You, you can waffle as much as you want. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, any plugs you want to give? Go right ahead.
2: Uh, I mean, you can check out my impact reviews and columns at Voices of Wrestling. And you can follow me on Twitter at Sinclair 97 for assorted ramblings about assorted things.
0: And Music of the Mat is, of course, part of the Voices of Wrestling podcast network. You can find all the great podcasts on there at VoicesOfWrestling.com. Follow the show on Twitter at Music of the Mat. Follow me on Twitter at Andrew T. Rich. If you want to discuss this episode or other topics, you can do so at the VOW Discord. That's VoicesOfRustling.com slash Discord. If you want to donate to the show, you can do that. Just go to VoicesOfRustling.com slash donate and click the big donate button beneath the name Music of the Mat. If you donate, hey, thanks so much. You're awesome. And, of course, rate, review, subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many other places. Uh, Andrew, thank you again, and I'll see you around.
2: Awesome. Thank you very much.
0: All right, for Andrew Sinclair, I'm Andrew Rich, and I'll see you next time on Music of the Mat. Take care, guys.
3: Music of the Mat is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. The songs used throughout this show are property of their respective copyright holders. bets and so much more download the app in virginia today and get 150 dollars in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at betmgm